Well, good evening and happy Good Friday to you. We're glad that you could all make it be with us today. I'm Pastor Sean, one of the pastors here. If you're new and I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love to do that before you leave. So come say hi to me. Have you ever had someone say something to you and it just stuck with you? In fact, it hit home, resonated. You just, you couldn't get it out of your heart or your head. It went as far as even changed you. You weren't the same because of what they said to you. I had a moment like this. Years ago, I was a part of a ministry called Rocksteady Ministries. And it was a group that came together to share the gospel through dance. I know I don't look like much of a dancer. I primarily focused on the teaching portion, although they did let me dance this much. And if you're good enough, you might be able to find me on YouTube. (laughs) My face is painted and it's dark, but it's there. You should go check it out. It's, It's really good. Not me, I'm just saying like the whole thing and getting to be a part of it. Anyway, there was a girl in the group and her and I became interested in one another. And so we started seeing each other. Um, I remember we were out and the leader of the group, who happened to be my brother, he's five years older, he called and he's like, I think you should, you know, explore, go after it. I'm like, you know, I'm already doing that. So at least I had his thumbs up for the group. Long story short, it ended not so good, particularly for this guy. And I remember being in my parents' garage and on the phone with my brother and sobbing to my brother about, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I need a break. I might need to stop doing the ministry, blah, 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 wah, wah, wah. I was expecting sympathy, I think, from my brother. And you know what he gave me? He said something to me, and I couldn't believe he said it. In essence, he said this, you're going to act like a man or what? I like, I cannot believe you just said that to me. My inside shot up to the standing position. They pierced my heart. Yes, I wanted to be that man. As Jesus heads towards the cross, and as Jesus hangs from the cross, he speaks. And when he does, he speaks words which we wouldn't expect. But when he does, they pierce our hearts, for we get to see his. They pierce our hearts and they change us, and we never see the cross the same way again. Tonight, we're going to look at Jesus' words as given to us in the Gospel of Luke. Turn with me, if you have your Bible, to Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 26. Luke 23, beginning here in verse 26. Now, as they led him away, this is the Romans leading Jesus to be crucified, they lay hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Jesus has been whipped and flogged so bad that he's unable to carry the cross beam. He wasn't carrying the whole cross. He was just supposed to carry the cross beam, the method of execution on which he was going to be nailed to. So likely he's stumbling, he's falling. So the Romans press into service this guy, Simon, who's probably has no idea what's going on and just happens to be passing by. Is that legal? Well, actually for Rome, yeah. And they threw him on in there. Can you imagine going on vacation And all of a sudden, you come into this police escort of criminals, and they're headed towards the electric chair, and they're all falling over, and they grab you and say, hey, buddy, take this button, carry it with them all the way to the end, the very button that was going to be pushed that's going to send that electrical charge. Talk about being at the wrong place at the wrong time. It does beg a question, why didn't the Romans pick it up? Why force this guy? Because it was humiliating to do that. It was publicly shameful. This is taboo. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be associated with someone 
who did that. What's the point? As Jesus heads towards the cross, he does so in utter weakness and absolute public humility or humiliation. Verse 27, and a great multitude of people followed him. We expect this, right? When there's car accidents, what do we do? We slow down and we all look. And there were also women who also mourned and lamented him. <laughs> right? Crying, grieving over this man's pain. Possibly offering him a drugged drink, wine with frankincense, something that would help take the edge off. But Jesus turning to them, he says, thanks. I really appreciate that, girls. Thank you so much. No, it's not what he says. He says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, if you were one of those women, what would you be thinking? What? What are you talking about? You're bleeding, under arrest, about to be executed, and you want us to weep for ourselves and not for you? I think his mind's going. But Jesus explains this. He says, for indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Jesus tells these women, it's going to be so bad in the future. There is judgment of God coming that's going to be so bad that you women would rather be publicly humiliated and not being able to have children. That was a big deal in these days. You would rather do that and be humiliated in front of all of your peers than face the judgment of God that's coming. And he says this, then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. The judgment coming is going to be so bad, people are going to quote Hosea chapter 10, verse 8, and want to be buried by the mountains. Put me out of my misery. And Jesus says this, for if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? The green wood pictures Jesus. If this is happening to an innocent man, and God is allowing this upon his son, what do you think is going to happen to the dry, the actual wicked, when fire, judgment hits that? Poof. It's not going to be able to stand at all. As Jesus heads towards the cross, he turns, and he shockingly, unexpectedly, gives words of judgment. And those words of judgment, I imagine, pierce the hearts of those women. I imagine they went home and went, wow, what just happened? What's coming? Jesus, by sharing these words of judgment, they pierce our hearts for we realize that those who reject Jesus, the future is absolutely not good. And Jesus, we also see the sincerity of his words here for he turns and he tells them this. Is judgment a bad thing to share? No. If Jesus can share it, out of great sincerity and concern, so can we. We should not shy away from words of judgment because it's part of God's call for people to come and to see the truth and the grace found in his son. Jesus continues here, verse 32. There will also be two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So Jesus is brought to a place called Calvary. Calvary is Latin for skull. It's called skull because the hill came out, uh, came out of the ground like a skull shape. So imagine this. Three crosses, Jesus in the middle. And underneath that, these men bleeding, suffocating to death, you have this skull shape. Very Halloween. 
Very scary scene. And Jesus is also fulfilling Isaiah 53, verse 12, where it said he would be numbered with the transgressors. We see there's something more going on here. So just outside of Jerusalem, just north outside, he's hanging there. And he speaks again. This time, he doesn't speak to the people. He speaks to the Father. Listen to what he says. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments, and they cast lots. As Jesus is suffering tremendously, he doesn't speak words of condemnation. He doesn't speak words of vengeance. He does not speak words of punishment. He speaks words of mercy. Father, they don't understand the activity, the love in which you are doing and pouring out through me right now. Have mercy on them. What's the greatest pain you've ever felt in your life? If it's too painful, don't think about it. But go with the the illustration. Maybe it's something emotional, something physical. I had some kidney stones. That was pretty bad. They say it's like giving birth for a guy. Maybe that's TMI. I'm sorry if I said that. Painful. What's going through your head in the midst of your pain? You're probably thinking about yourself, how much it hurts. Or if someone's causing it to you, you're probably thinking about them and not good thoughts about them. Oh, you little, I just not knock you, uh, right? You're not feeling very happy with them. Years ago, I was a part of a club travel soccer team called Hotspurs USA. And in one game, I faked left, went right, pushed the ball. The guy came in, missed the ball, and got my ankle. Third degree ankle sprain. It's the worst, the highest degree you can get. Some say it's worse than a break because it doesn't heal as well. If you were to take an empty gallon of milk and you bend the plastic, you know, you get that white crease in it, it's really hard to put it back. It's kind of like how I imagine my foot. Because of that incident, I didn't get to play in National Cup, which was the biggest tournament for our soccer in the United States. And would you believe my team made it all the way to the semifinals? And I got to watch them lose being that close, and I couldn't help, and I couldn't participate and play a significant role. I remember being somewhere and hearing that kid was there at the, at the, the tournament. I was just, you know, I wanted to throw a snarl at him or just whatever. I don't know. Definitely was not praying for him. Definitely didn't want mercy on that kid. But Jesus, as he's on the cross, he asked for mercy for the very people who were doing this to him. Those words of mercy pierce our hearts, for again, we see his. He doesn't want them to hurt. He wants them to be rescued. What manner of love is this? That's not human. That's not normal. That's something special. That's divine. That's our Lord Jesus. Verse 35, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, this chosen of God. Again, a crowd there. Many probably in neutrality, not for or against, but there were definitely people who were against. The first one, the religious leaders, mocking him. Come on, Mr. Chosen Messiah. Let's see it, buddy. Come on, let's see it. And not just them, but the Roman soldiers joined in. I don't don't understand why they joined in, but maybe they just joined in, right? When the fans are cheering, you just join and start cheering too. The soldiers also mocked him coming and offering him sour wine. Yeah, thanks for that. And saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They're mocking him for the same thing, him being a savior. 
Verse 39, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him. That, that is, they spoke evil, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. If being in physical pain and public humiliation wasn't enough, now he has his peers just mocking and humiliating him over and over again in front of everybody as he hangs there. But not everybody acted this way. One person stands out, and Luke records this, and this is truly amazing, for Jesus gives words here that, again, pierce our hearts. But the other, this is the other criminal, answering, rebuked him, rebuked the other criminal, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? He says, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me, when you come into your kingdom. Picture the scene. This guy's hanging from a cross. He's bleeding. He's suffocating. That's part of why this was so brutal. It's a slow death by suffocation. He knows he's a bad guy. He knows he's getting what he deserves. And everybody's joining in just about making fun of Jesus and mocking him. And this one guy doesn't join in with everybody else. But he says in his own words, I believe you're the king. Remember me when you get to your kingdom. What faith this guy had hanging in the last moments of his life. And listen, here's the response. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine that guy's heart just lifting off the cross? You know the old Red Bull commercials, Red Bull gives you wings? <laughs> Jesus' words of hope probably gave this guy airplane wings and just soaring up, counting down the last moments of his life getting what he deserved, looking to the judgment of God. And Jesus intervenes and says, it won't be this for you. You will have a different experience. This very day, you will be with me in paradise where the righteous, the justified go before God to be with him forever. When Jesus says words like this, you cannot help but see things differently. In the 90s, there was this book called Magic Eye. You ever see that book? What well, was this book where it had these different kind of blurry paintings? And, and you look at it and go, big, well, what's the big deal? But if you look close enough, if you rest your eyes, some say cross your eyes and come back together. That's what I did. There was an image that actually popped up the page. You remember those books? Kids, if you don't, ask your parents to go get you one. They're amazing. They look like nothing. Yeah, they do look like a hologram when you see it right. And it's the same thing here. When you see the cross correctly, it jumps off the page that you see a savior here. This is not a criminal. And what enables you to see it? It's the words of Jesus. It's the word of God. And you look and go, that is no criminal. That is the savior. He truly is. Who speaks like that? Pastor Jay wrote in his devotion this week. I encourage you to go read it. It was really good narrating this whole week. And he talked about how Jesus, although it was undergoing all this, was in control. And he was absolutely right. Who can say this except someone who's in control? Today you'll be with me in paradise? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're going to die. You're hanging on a cross. No, there's something else going on here. He's in control. And he can still offer hope no matter how bad things look for him and for you. Amen? Amen. Verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour. This is about noon. And... There was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So Mark tells us that Jesus was crucified at nine in the morning. Now we're at about lunchtime, noon. 
at noontime, all of a sudden, darkness just comes. Why is this significant? Because darkness is a picture of God's judgment. We visibly, tangibly see God's judgment now come upon Jesus three hours later, and, and you see it rest for these last three hours in which he's hanging there. Do you remember going to school and how long six hours felt? I remember getting up in the morning, and I wanted so bad to have a blow-up chair in the shower so I could sit in it because I was too tired to stand. And then getting to school, you know what I'm talking about, and then getting to school at like 7.15, it was so cold. Yeah, and then, and then by the time fourth, fifth period, you're like, please, God, just get me out of here. And then the bell rings, and you're like, I'm free. I get to go home. You remember how long that day was? That length of a day is what Jesus did, except he was on a cross. And he didn't get to go home in the same way that you did. He got his life taken from him, or really, rather, he gave it up. Verse 45, then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. This is extremely significant. There are cosmic things going on here, which again shows us there's more going on than just some criminal. He's not a criminal. He's the Savior. The veil is probably the veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place. In God's temple, this is a picture of God's presence. And only the high priest was able to come in to that most holy place to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. When it ripped, that means the way was made open to come to the Father. Why? Because Jesus paid for your sins on that cross. Now, therefore, you have complete, full, and final access to come and be with God forever. Amen? Verse 46, and this is the last thing we have here recorded in Luke of which Jesus says, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus spoke, he cried out loudly before he said this. If one of you in this room was to cry out really loudly, what would we all do? We would probably look at you. We would turn. Jesus is calling attention to himself. And then he speaks these words, which might not look like much. Nice, simple faith. Actually, he's quoting scripture. If one of you are moaning on a deathbed or in some significant place, oh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We'd go, I know what that is. That's Psalm 23. For God so loved the world, he gave his own. Yes, John 3.16, we know that. Jesus cites scripture here, likely so they could understand something. He cites Psalm 31, verse 5. Psalm 31, originally, was about a person's suffering, but it was a righteous sufferer. When Jesus cites this, he is saying, that's me in a typological sense. That's me. That's this situation, except I am that par excellence. I am that to the utmost example of that. You see, when Jesus dies and he speaks these words, they're words of innocence. And these words of innocence pierce our hearts because we realize this guy's righteous. This is unfair. He did not deserve this. Why, why, why is this happening to him? This shouldn't be happening. If someone you loved sibling, a parent, a spouse, was unjustly being treated this way, you would probably fly off the handles. And yet we look and we see Jesus suffering innocently. And we remember, that was supposed to be me. That should have been me. It wasn't fair. That should have been me. And then, and then you thank God and say, yes, thank you, Jesus, that you took it. It wasn't fair. It's not fair. And I don't even like that you did it, but I'm so thankful and glad you did it because you saved me through what you did. 
Tonight we've been blessed as we looked at Good Friday to really focus on the things that Jesus said. And I think his words, as you leave here, will also pierce your hearts, resonate with you, and change you. You will never see him the same way again because his words are powerful and they are life. As we mourn the death of our Savior, we also look forward to the hope of Sunday morning. But as of now, we are going to remember and we are going to celebrate by taking communion together. And Pastor Jay is going to come and lead us in that now. Thank you, Sean. Um, on the last night that Jesus was with his disciples before he was crucified, he met with them in what we know as the upper room in the city of Jerusalem, and he led them in a celebration of the Passover meal, which was a Jewish festival that was celebrated at the time for a few different reasons. For one, it was celebrated as a remembrance, and it was a remembrance of how God had delivered Israel through the Exodus from uh, Egyptian slavery, and into the promised land. It was a festival that was designed to be a celebration of God's grace and God's mercy as he delivered his people from slavery. And as Jesus sat with his disciples that last night, that Thursday night before he went to the cross on Good Friday, he took the elements of the bread and the wine that we know today as the elements of communion or the Lord's Supper. And he pointed them to something that was true about what he was going to do for them and for us the next day. Is that this would be a new exodus. This would be a deliverance by God's grace and mercy through the cross. And that just, just like during the Passover, when the blood of lambs were put on the doorpost of the Israelites in Egypt, this would be the final blood of the Lamb of God given for our salvation. And so we're going to pick up reading in the chapter right before what we read, what Pastor Sean led us through. In Luke chapter 22, with more of Jesus' words, this time leading us through the institution of the Lord's Supper. Pointing to himself as the fulfillment of the one who has given his life for us so that we would have deliverance, salvation, and eternal life. In verse 14, Luke chapter 22, it says this, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the, the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and this is where we're going to take our bread. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
Lord, as we gather here tonight, we are thankful for the new covenant that was made by your initiative, by your grace and mercy, by your love on our behalf, and for your glory. Lord, as we read these words, we're reminded of the fact that you are a God who is faithful to us and have been to your people throughout history, continuing to remind us over and over again, even though we are so forgetful, that you love us and that you've given us provision for salvation so that we can be with you. We can be reconciled to you. Lord, we can be forgiven. We can be given a hope and a future. There's no greater representation of that than what we have just done. We've taken the elements of the bread which represents, Lord Jesus, your body given on the cross and the juice which represents your blood spilled so that the new covenant could be our covenant with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.